business. The blog and podcast for game changers and innovators in the construction industry. Hello and welcome to episode 120 of the AEC Business Podcast. In this last episode of 2021, Paul Wilkinson and I, Arnie Heiskanen, discuss the news and phenomena that we found interesting this year. Paul and I started collaborating in 2020, we host AEC Tech TV, and we've organized two AEC Tech webinars with WDBE this year. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thank you for, for having me. Yeah, good to be talking to you again, Arnie. Perhaps you could start. What's the first on your list? Um, the first on my list is um, a kind of revival in uh, wearables. Um, I was contacted during the course of the year a couple of times by people um, either I already knew or who were new at and knew, and knew of me through the blog, but they were new at XYZ Reality. Um, so there was um, a business um, that became the sort of the darling of the tech brigade um, with, with, a, with a, a head up display uh, fitted into uh, a site safety helmet, a company called Daiquiri. Um, unfortunately, um, they they went bust. But XYZ Reality is looking really to um, step into their shoes, try, try and move the industry forward with um, a wearable device. Um, and essentially, it takes it allows the user to view um, and superimpose. Uh, a building information model over the work that's taking place on a construction site in real time. So that, um, for example, if uh, concrete is being poured um, or a piece of steelwork is being positioned, they can check it for accuracy against the design uh, in real time and avoid um, you know, perhaps misplacement or you know, inaccuracy in its um, installation. Um, so to avoid rework, really, um, to avoid the mistake um, at the point of installation. So um, they <coughs> were present at Digital Construction Week, the big trade show in London, uh, which this year took place in November, and attracted a lot of interest uh, at, at the event. Um, I think the jury is still out on, on the extent to which um, a very cost-conscious industry is going to take to um, wearable devices where the costs are you know, in the hundreds and, and, and thousands of pounds or thousands of euros. Um, but certainly you know, the, the benefits of um, avoiding rework may make the technology pay for itself. It doesn't have to be worn by everybody. It just needs to be worn by somebody who, who can spot that something is wrong and avoid that costly mistake. Yes, I, I, I also followed up on, on their uh, news and, um, and I saw that they, they had a demo at, at the Digital Construction Week. A lot of people were testing it out, um, you know, and they, so um, as you do at um, trade shows now, you often see people who seem to be staring into space. Um, <clears throat> they've got a headset on, um, you know, whether it's 
um, mixed reality like XYZ we're doing or whether it's virtual reality where somebody's wearing something and, and is is roaming around inside a virtual world. Um, there were there were some people on the Bentley stand, for example, um, with handheld devices and a headset on, um, seemingly staring at the wall of the exhibition centre, but no doubt, you know, off in some amazing uh, internal space in a world of their own. Yes. <laughs> So you, you didn't have a chance to test uh, the um, at was it Atom the the new product? I I think it is that, but I, I didn't get a chance to test it. Um, Digital Construction Week was an incredibly busy time for me. Um, I was committed on various stages for seventy five percent of the show. <laughs> Understand? Yeah. Ah, well, my my first item also is. Uh, somewhat related to what you were talking about um it's ai uh, and um, ai specifically for situational awareness on construction sites and um ai in general has been pretty a pretty hot topic this year in many ways but uh w the practical the most practical solutions that i have seen or applications of ai um are in Uh, situational awareness and reality capture. But, um, for example, uh, yes, only only yesterday I interviewed Stuart Maggs of Scale Robotics, and he uh, explained how their technology works. So the idea is that when you're on a construction site, you are starting to see people taking photos or videos using hard hat cameras, and those cameras can capture. A lot of information during one walk from one one end to the other end of the of the site, and the the question is, when you're getting all this information, what are you going to do with it? Uh, and it's really impractical to think that somebody would get just watch all those all that footage or all those thousands of photos and try to pinpoint issues there. So the idea is that you let the uh, machine do that so using ai a system can can do um let's say uh, several days of work in in a few hours uh, and uh, that's a huge time saver and it can pinpoint and and uh, and find out about quality issues for example something's missing something is misplaced or something is um not accurate to the standard so so that's a huge advantage and i think that this reality capture uh, combined with bim and to automate the reporting from those uh, two is is perhaps the most uh, um, evident application of ai in the near future um, do you do you agree <laughs> I, i think so. i'm seeing a lot of um reality capture technology um, i'll talk about one in a minute um Yeah, and I think it is that um, ability to use uh, the raw data, whether it's captured in um, point clouds or whether it's photogrammetry based, um, and to have some kind of intelligent agent able to review the uh, the site uh, around which maybe the person has walked and identify site problems um, or even just count the number of tasks that have been completed between different um, surveys 
uh, incredibly powerful. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've certainly seen some really interesting demonstrations of bill dots um, where you know they've just really been able to give a, a very um, workable um, <coughs> example, very workable examples of, of how labour saving. Um, the technology was in terms of just helping, um, particularly in a COVID world, helping those who can't do a site visit understand just the, the rate, the rate and level of progress that's been made. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. COVID, in fact, has <laughs> forced many companies to to completely change the way they worked and and do remote inspections and remote managing of of sites, which is. Uh, has accelerated the digitalization considerably, I, I think. So those, yeah, you mentioned the auto automated uh, progress monitoring. That's certainly one of those things that are key to uh, situational awareness. Um, but, well, perhaps you you can take take it from there and, and <coughs> what is say, next on your <laughs> list. It, it kind of segues neatly from reality capture, and, and I mentioned laser scanning. Um at every digital construction event um, trade show that I've been to, there's been a heavy presence from firms like uh, Leica um, that do uh, laser scanning. Um, and the outputs from those uh, laser scans, particularly, you know, an individual laser scan can be, you know, megabytes. When you combine the laser scans from multiple positions, Um, you know, they're, they're, they're measured in tens, if not hundreds of gigabytes in terms of scale of, of point, you know, millions of points of data, um, you know, captured multiple times, you know, make for very large files. And for most uh, end users, a point cloud is just too, too huge, you know, and, you know, they're, they're unwieldy to um, transfer uh, unwieldy, perhaps to process on most people's normal um Uh, laptops or or, or or desktop computers. So what's needed is a technology um, that will help um, convert that point cloud data into 3D models in, in, in a clever way. So, you know, it, it, mesh technology helps with that. And I've been talking this year um, a number of times with a company called PointFuse, uh, based in the UK, just west of London in Maidenhead. And they were at Digital Construction Week showing what they do. Because um, what they do is, um, if you imagine uh, a point cloud and it maybe captures a surface, uh, but it captures millions of points across the surface. But in some cases, all of those points are in the same plane. Um, they might be a flat surface, um, the side of a uh, of a beam or um, column. Um, and that can be converted into um, a single plane um, in the software, um, a single geometric shape, immediately combining uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of um, points of data into one single uh, geom geometrically described surface. And if you do that across lots of flat surfaces and, and point fuses technology does this um, really elegantly meshes them together um, so you, a bit like you when you see a city mesh sometimes lots of polygons 
and the, the polygons here could be inside a plant room you know lots of surfaces um, around the the the, uh, the walls and, and ceilings but obviously all the pipe work and duct work and cable trays and everything else all modeled very accurately but what the point fuse technology does it reduces the size of you know, it takes away the the sheer volume of uh, a point cloud and renders it in something which can be interpreted very, very quickly by um, somebody who knows that space. They can tag up what the equipment is and you know, it can form the basis of a building information model very, very quickly. And they've done integrations with platforms from firms like Autodesk <coughs> and Procore um, so that the um, output from you know, the, the, the big scale output from uh, laser surveys can be captured in something that can be viewed in a standard browser on a standard machine by another member of the project team without all the heavy processing that's required. And that's, again, a segue to the, my next uh, item, uh, which is uh, robotics and, and specifically uh, SPOT, the Boston Dynamics robot, uh, which has been used for reality capture and and also with Trimble's technology uh, to capture point clouds. And by the way, I was able to get one of those point clouds from from um, a site visit and and try to use it. And and as you said, it's really difficult when you have thousands of points. You see that they make up some sort of a structure, but but it should be more, way more simple to, to use than just raw data from, from the point clouds. But, but yeah, uh, I was talking about Spot. I actually have been able to visit three construction sites with Spot, the robot. And uh, these visits have been organized by Alta University uh, and specifically their building 2030 uh, group who is uh, researching on on construction site productivity and digitalization, and uh, um, the last visit I had was only yesterday, uh, two hours on on Lipulaiva, uh, the flagship um, project in in Espoo, Finland, and um, Sport was there. This time it had had an arm typically it it uh, carries on its back some sort of cameras and and scanning devices and so on but this time it had a had an arm and we we tested it uh, what what can it do with an arm for example if it's walking around on a site and it comes up uh, there's a door so how can it continue its uh, survey on the site uh, simply okay it can open the door but it seemed that even this very simple <laughs> action of opening a door is not as simple when you're trying to figure out how to do it with a robotic arm so that was perhaps the first uh, surprise that even though spot has certain automated functions so it can uh, pick up things it can open doors but uh, the type of door that they had there wasn't uh, easy to automate uh, so it had to be hand operated remotely and it, it's not easy another thing is that um, there are obstacles on the site for example there are some um, there can be uh, things that basically spot can move 
it can drag things, for example, boxes and, and things like that. Uh, and, and we tried also that, uh, and it, it was pretty good. Um, but uh, in general, I would say that um, spot, uh, the type of task it's best for currently is probably reality capture and doing these scannings, 3D scan, scans and so on. Um, uh, one thing that was also pretty handy was that there was a certain uh, area in the in the side where it was really narrow space and Spot could use its arm and, and the camera at the end of its arm to inspect that s space. So that's one, one way to use it for uh, places where people cannot actually access easily. Um, but in general, I think um, this year has been, in a way, the year of, of, the, of robotics. We have seen many news on, on different uses of, of robotics, and Spot, Spot, of course, has been the main, perhaps the most uh, visible. And you mentioned that it was also on, on Digital Construction Week. Boston Dynamics had a space. Um, I was going to say they had a stand, but it was more an open space that people could stand around and you know they could watch as the uh, robot moved around. Um, but the, they also um, let Spot um, walk uh, um, around the show uh, between between the exhibition stands, um, and it, it it always attracted interest. People were intrigued to watch um, this dog-like robot. Uh, walking walking past their stand um, and obviously there was a scanning device on the back nobody knew exactly whether the scanning device was switched on whether it was capturing data or not um, yeah, there wasn't an arm in place um, but you know I'm, I'm intrigued by the idea of there being an arm I, I, I had visions of it um, opening doors um, but but also maybe you know summoning a lift I mean, right because you, you know you, you can imagine maybe there are elements of testing on site you know um do the lights work you know use the arm to switch a light on switch a light off um you know so it, it, it could be doing some simple um things like that that uh, if they've got to go around a building and and switch and just test one you know, uh, hundreds of light switches that 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 could be something that could be uh, robotized and you know captured uh, the, the data captured um, accordingly. Do you still have something to uh, talk about? I think the recurring theme for me this year has, has been um, an issue that we've we've been address we've been trying to address in uh, the AEC um, IT space for for twenty years or more, and that's the issue of interoperability, uh, the ability of two systems to exchange data seamlessly. Um, and then for people to be able to use that data. Um, if, if I go back a few years, um, there was a, a report um, done in America about the cost of poor interoperability to facility owners, and it estimated that the cost uh, per annum for a single year for the facility owners alone uh, was something like $15 billion dollars. Um, in terms of uh, having to convert um, information from one format to another, um, you know, the, the reversion to paper was was wasteful. It was the issues of uh, exporting and importing, sometimes imperfectly, and then for, therefore having to rework the data or reconstruct the data from scratch. 
them. So all of these costs added up. And even if they were born in the make, perhaps um, by designers or constructors, um, they obviously pass the cost back to the client. So you know, the, the ultimately the costs are borne by the owner operators, by the clients of the industry. So this has been an issue that we've been addressing for a long, long time. Um, yeah, and part of the uh, the rationale, the, the reason for it is the way the industry has been structured. You know, we we we've worked traditionally in silos. Our software was developed um, to resolve particular professional challenges. So we we created architectural software um, to to resolve architectural problems. We we analysed engineering problems so that we had engineering software. We had estimating tools for estimators. Um, and these are all, all often point solutions, which delivered outputs for individual professionals, but they didn't necessarily make it easy for those professionals to share their outputs with other professionals who might need to reuse some of the information. So that's where the interoperability problem has arisen. And we, we've got a lot of proprietary tools now that don't necessarily make it easy to share information. Um, Building Smart International has obviously been working very hard on this area for a long, long time. You know, its original name was the International Alliance for Interoperability. Um, so it's been focusing on things like industry foundation classes. And then we have COBE as well as a, as a solution or, or part of the solution for handing information over to asset owners, um, the, largely the non-geometric information. Um, so th these are all uh, things which we've, we've been doing now for the last 10 to 15 years. Um, BIM in the UK uh, this year is, is officially 10 years old um, since the government, the government programme started. Um, but we've seen uh, in the five years since the BIM mandate passed in 2016 in the UK, uh, interest has sort of plateaued and people got a lot more excited about things like digital twin. But, you know, the, the, the promise of the digital twin won't be achieved unless we have interoperability, uh, unless we have good interoperability between solutions so that clients can have um, the confidence that the data they get from their construction teams is going to remain usable by them for you know, decades to come. It's not it's no use having it for five years until uh, the new version of software uh, comes out, replaces the, the version that you that your um, information was written in, and you're no longer able to access it. So, um, we're, we're, you know, the, the industry has to move forward in that way. I was a member of a, a, a group called the BIM um, uh, Interoperability Expert Group. Uh, that's morphed during the course of 2021 into a group called the Government and Industry Interoperability Group. And at Digital Construction Week, um, it taught quite extensively, um, had a stand at the show, was uh, discussed on the main stage and on the BIM Village stage at that show. Um, so got, we, we got a lot of um, interest in the interoperability message. And some of the work streams are focused uh, on IFC, and one of the work streams is focused on IFC and Kobe. Another work stream is focused on classification. Uh, a third work stream is looking at how clients might create what we call an information management platform, an IMP, um, to manage um, all the client side data um, that they need for asset operation, uh, repair and maintenance, and so forth. There is a technology stream on, on technologies, um, which I'm involved with. 
and there is a stream because obviously this needs to be driven uh, by you know strong com- there need to be strong and compelling commercial reasons for interoperability so there is a stream on procurement um, so we, we we start to think about procurement from a contractual point of view so this work is all ongoing um, and I'm hoping that in 2022 we, we see some significant progress in the UK on that um, but this is also mandated um, in UK government construction strategy. Uh, a year ago, the construction playbook was published. And in September, we had another document called the Transforming Infrastructure Performance Roadmap to 2030, which for abbreviation is sometimes just called the TIP Roadmap. Um, so TIP Roadmap has an annex in it um, called the Information Management Mandate. And that talks in detail about interoperability and the need to resolve that so that clients can be confident that they're going to get um, a best whole life solution, you know, a better outcome that's supported by the data they need um, uh, uh, for, for the life cycle of their assets. So and that's you know, uh, I think going to drive industry change quite strongly. If the client demands it, you know, it, it's really um, then contingent upon the supply chain to meet that client demand. But but do you think that mandates are the way to go if we really want to change the industry? I, I think I, I think that this is a mandate which is pushing at an open door. You know, you, you can you can insist that your supply chain deliver something, but you know there. Uh, it also has to be something that the industry wants to do themselves. And I think one of the um, long-running issues that many professionals have had is that the uh, the poor interoperability of many proprietary solutions um, is wasteful. Every time they've got to uh, in, uh, export and then import uh, data from one solution to another, and maybe that's not uh, a perfect exchange. Maybe some data data is lost along the way, or um, they need to use some middleware. It all takes time. It all adds cost. Um, yeah, and those costs are, as I said earlier, handed on, are passed on to the owner. You know, so it's a wasteful process. They're not creating value every time they convert data. You know, if we think about what's a value-adding activity, it's the ability to work on the information seamlessly and expand it out uh, and then pass it on to somebody else who expands it and improves it still further. Um, But converting um, just simply so that you can work on it is not a value-adding activity. So I think there will be an appetite in the supply chain um, to improve uh, interoperability simply because it makes life easier for everybody that has to collaborate on the information journey that is part of um, every digital construction project these days. Uh, so uh, the the last thing on my list relates to productivity and digitalization. I mentioned already building the Building 2030 Consortium and their uh, tests with SPOT. And this consortium has been around for five years. It consists of Aalto University and 21 construction industry companies. And the idea of the group is to let the industry uh, drive research that they're funding. So they collaborate on research and, and the companies implement the results in their respective businesses. Um, they they wanted to have a certain goal for their efforts and so 
so they defined a vision for the Finnish construction industry. Uh, and and the vision for 2030 uh, has five parts. It it states that the uh, industry by 2030 should be reliable, user-centric, sustainable, productive and inspiring. And and recently they they decided to, to define metrics for each of these uh, goals and and measure it every year. Uh, so so to see how digitalization uh, that is in the, in the very center of their activities uh, is impacting the industry and hopefully positively. <laughs> so um, so they uh, measured last year uh, using these uh, these metrics how they how they are doing uh, to to form a baseline for what they, what they're doing. And in total, they have uh, defined 13 metrics, and um, I picked up a few examples of what they measure. And and these figures, uh, they represent 58 contracts with uh, worth uh, 1.1 billion euros. Uh, and and for re- reliability, which was the first uh, view, they measure the percentage of error-free handovers. Uh, and the percentage of zero zero accident projects and how many projects are delivered on schedule and on budget and and so last year about 36% of the projects had an error free handover and 53.4% uh, of all projects and 70.8% percent of residential projects had zero accidents only about half of the residential and commercial projects met their budget targets on on the other hand uh, 81% of all the projects were uh, on schedule so very good <laughs> as for sustainability uh, the average recycling rate for building projects was 72.3% and if you compare that with the uh, car industry uh, 87% of car parts and materials in the EU were re- reused in in 2018 and recycled so that's the baseline and i'm really interested to see Uh, if digitalization will have a positive impact on those numbers. Uh, so, Paul, um, do you know of similar surveys uh, in the UK? Uh, I mean, we've certainly had surveys of uh, the extent to which firms have uh, digitized or digitalized some of their businesses. I mean, we're still a, we're still having that debate of, um, about whether they've just digitized their normal ways of working and haven't taken the next step onwards, which is to transform business processes, take steps out of um, what used to be maybe laborious processes and automate them um, and maybe change business models, you know, because maybe they 
they could identify a better way of doing things. Um, you know, so one area around productivity, for example, might be to shift towards more industrialized approaches to construction, more off-site, more prefabrication, more factory-based um, fabrication. So you get imp improvements there in terms of uh, you, you can you can have work taking place in factories in parallel to site work, then deliver a completed module to site on a just in time basis. Yeah, and that that's one of the areas where we're seeing a lot of interest, uh, particularly in residential, um, large scale residential uh, developments, uh, which lend themselves to repeatability. Um, so you can get uh, a lot of uh, factory built either complete volumetric spaces or components, um, wall, ceiling and floor units, for example, just craned into place uh, and, and you know, they lock into position um, a bit like kids' toys, Lego blocks, that kind of thing. They just fit, plug and play. Um, you know, that is one of the opportunities I think that we're going to see, not just um, in the UK, but right across the industry as we begin to look at uh, new ways of uh, working to, you know, develop better standards, better finishes through um, really adopting some of the manufacturing type lessons. Um, you mentioned the difference between automotive and construction. You know, we're we're only ever going to get to automotive levels of productivity if we standardise a lot more on on how we deliver buildings and and uh, other in infrastructure assets. But the interesting thing in Finland, because we, we mainly use concrete uh, building uh, panels, uh, is that uh, the industry standardized all the details and, and the systems so that you can order the same um, exterior wall from several in, uh, factories. They all use the same standards. And that makes it easy because it, now you're not dependent on one supplier because yeah. you have these standards. Yeah, we're, we're seeing a bit of the same kind of thing beginning to happen in the UK for um, to support what was uh, for a while called Design for Manufacture and Assembly, uh, the DFMA. There is now a platform approach, so uh, platform D, uh, DFMA or, or PDFMA. Um, and it, it's about having standardized components that um, can be assembled like a kit of parts um, and they are you know standard items that therefore um, you know the, the core item uh, might be a standard thing but then all the things that fit to it are also standardized so it lends itself then to um, you know helping uh, manufacturing businesses um, be confident that they can deliver um, standardized products in uh, at scale They've got a predictable market because the last thing somebody wants to do is set up a factory only to realize, um, you know, three months later that um, somebody then wants something a slightly different size. And you've then got to re rejig your production line. Um, that's not that's not uh, effective. So having standardized approaches absolutely has to be the way forward. OK, uh, so I think those those were my three uh, items and, and you also had three. So I, I think. We we we're done here with these, but no, I, th I think we're going to have an interesting 2022 if some of these things um, start to penetrate into uh, wider use across the. Industry. Yeah, yeah, I was just saying the same that it's interesting to see what happens in next year because my feeling I don't know if you share it is that 
during the last weeks or uh, towards the end of, of this year, this has just accelerated. There are so many news about new technologies, new companies, startups getting funding, and so on. So that, that this is accelerating this this development. I think it has. I think there's also you know maybe we mentioned COVID a couple of times, but. Um, the more that people have become comfortable working remotely, uh, using technology with confidence, no longer feeling that they have to be in the office, that there are technologies that can help them when they're not in the office, uh, it makes them more comfortable when they start then thinking about, well, how could we apply digital approaches to some of our um, activities, whether they are office-based uh, or traditionally office-based? You know, are they things that they can now do from home? Are there now things that they can do working collaboratively through Teams or Zoom or other platforms? Um, and then particularly when you get to site, you know, not everybody needs to be on site. You know, we you know, it could be that uh, somebody walks around with a camera on their helmet or, or is, uh, you know, spot the dog is, is monitoring their activity. Um, that uh, it changes the dynamics of, of how people interact with information and whether they need to be on site. And, you know, the fewer people on site in some cases means the safer a site might be. Yeah, and uh, now the recent development in consumer electronics and, and what Meta, for example, has said, and, and we yeah. are w moving towards uh, virtual environments yeah, there, there, I, I certainly sat in a presentation where somebody talked about the metaverse in a lot of detail. Uh, um, yeah, that was almost the new buzzword. If we get tired of digital twins, it'll be a metaverse. Yeah, no, everything's metaverse. Yeah, yeah. I went to two conferences in November at which Epic Games were exhibiting. Yeah, and so this is an organization which has taken uh, online gaming um by storm you know it, it's um you know millions of users around the world using its visualization technology and they're addressing the construction industry as a market opportunity now and they see um, their platform as a way of gluing lots of the existing technologies together to help people view um the and visualize um, in advance of construction or even during construction what's happening on a project you know so if we've got gaming organizations now seriously playing in the industry that's going to be um, a, a major change in uh, you know the dynamics of uh, you know, which will grab will, will grab the attention of some of the the long-term incumbents they can't they can't sit comfortably back and, and just let epic games walk in they're going to have to respond to the, the the potential for change that somebody like epic or you know uh, other firms even facebook maybe moving into the vet metaverse might make to to the industry mm. well my suggestion is that when we do the same session one year from now we will do it in a metaverse. <laughs> It'll be a test of how far it's come in a year. <laughs> yeah. Won't it? yeah, yeah. Okay, Paul, it has been a pleasure again talking with you. And um, I think we, are, we still have a lot of work to do until the end, end of this year. So let's get onto it. And um, all the, well, Happy holidays. Yes, well, yes. And uh, season's greetings to everybody listening. Yeah, from me too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. For more construction, innovation and technology news and stories, visit aec-business.com. And remember to subscribe to this podcast.